Welcome to Band Meets Strings, a podcast exploring the string classroom. I'm Patrick Dandrea. And I'm Tiffany O. Bonicelli. And we're both music educators in the California Bay Area. I teach high school string orchestra and symphony orchestra. And I teach middle school band, jazz, and orchestra. We're not experts, but we're here to share and reflect on the challenges, successes, and everything in between in our own classrooms. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, feel free to send us an email at bandmeetsstrings at gmail.com. If you're enjoying what you're hearing or if this podcast is helpful to you, uh, feel free to write us a review or give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to podcasts, which makes it easier for us to reach more listeners. Happy Sunday, Tiffany. Happy Sunday, Pat. How's your weekend going? It's going great. We've had a a not much to do weekend, which I have been thrilled about. No complaints at all. I know. What a joy. I feel like fall somehow gets really busy and weekends. Like it always feels like, oh, like, of course we can go away for this weekend and do this thing, but it stacks up. Yeah, we've got some travel coming up and I, I definitely agree the fall. I don't know. I like to enjoy the fall as much as possible, especially now that I'm no longer in the marching band world every saturday i i just feel much freer in a way um that i enjoy a lot i enjoyed doing all of the things that i got to do when i did them but now just to have two full days all throughout the fall feels like i don't know it feels like extra vacation yeah i can imagine that if you had spent years of your life in the marching band world that this must be a delight and personally i I live in san francisco and this these two months in september and october they're gorgeous and so this is sort of my favorite time of year in lots of ways very very pretty let's do a quick check-in today we're going to be diving a lot deeper into our class progress so far but some of the things that i've been thinking about in my classroom uh, we had our seating auditions we um, are doing our first set of sort of progress and memory checks um, and we're, we're well underway for fall concert prep we are also starting to do a lot of the preparations for our spring trip i guess it's in early march but um our spring trip with our chamber orchestra where we are going to be going to new york to participate in the orchestra cup which is a competition for orchestras only that takes place in lincoln center's alice tilly hall so we're looking forward to that that's kind of what we've been up to i've also been thinking a lot about sort of our program as a whole like it or not i do run the social media for our program and so i've been um thinking about sort of the content that we put out especially when it's not heavy concert season um and i think there's definitely an argument that nothing needs to happen but i am always thinking about student engagement and honestly long-term recruitment and i think when students start to see stuff in their regular feed that they're looking at that is related to their music classes it just becomes more and more like normed for them and so we uh, i made a big poster recently I, I mentioned this in the last episode but of our gun staff musicians so um, all of our music teachers as high school musicians but also our um, staff members across across disciplines and across subjects um, sub- submit photos of themselves as young musicians or adult musicians and so we made a classroom poster and then we've also have been putting out that some of that content online so that's sort of been on my mind of it's, it's it is recruitment but really it's also just joyful for students to see their physics teacher playing an instrument <laughs> and i've also just been thinking a lot about my role on campus as a teacher uh, outside of my classrooms this is I've, i was a shared staff member between the middle and high school for 
10 years. And these last two years are the first time I've been on one campus in a really long time. And so I've just been sort of figuring out like, oh, what does that mean? What can I do outside of my classroom? How can I have a bigger impact um, outside of my own program? And a lot of that for me is equity work um, and working with the student equity groups and also advising some of the subcommittees um, on campus and also participating at a district level in some of our equity work. I was just thinking about like what kids will remember from high school. It's so often it's it's homecoming, right? It's it's the big spirit events. It's all the the things that didn't happen in your classroom. And so I'm just excited to participate more in homecoming this year and do staff air bands and just like do all of the things that students care about outside of the classroom. That's kind of where I'm at. Thank you so much for sharing that. I love that idea of getting all of your colleagues to submit photos of themselves with their own instruments. I know we talked about that with Angela Ammerman on our last episode. And like you said, it's like not intended toward a recruitment, but there's something about, I think, just making your whole school feel like music is a part of the community, regardless of who's in your program. I just think totally. when, when people associate like Gun High School and music so closely together, regardless of whether their kids are in the program, or I just think there's a lot of value there. And that does have an impact on your recruitment, I'm sure. But it just makes your music kids feel more like they're just a part of the high school and they're at the core of that, which is super cool. Totally. And it also accomplishes this goal of like, realistically, the number of kids who will go to college just to major in music is very, very small. Mm -hmm. And even even if there are many, many kids who could, um, it's more just because we have such an interest in STEM and, uh, you know, even to some extent, the humanities. And so I think it's, it's a way for them to see like, oh, my computer science teacher also played double bass, you know, and like, that's really cool for them to see. Um, speaking of which, I have a form and an email that I sent out that I'm happy to share with anyone who's interested because <laughs> take labor off. And I'm sure it's fun just to learn what your colleagues like experience was. I'm sure there were a couple of surprises there for you too. It's very fun. I also work in my own school community and kind of outside of your classroom, greater campus feel. I'm on our PBIS committee, which is the Positive Behavior Intervention and Supports Committee. Yeah. And I, I just like that feeling of that work. It feels very central to my own classroom, so it feels like a natural extension. But I don't know there's something about we spend a lot of times in our schools, so I just want to make that a place that I feel good about going and being in. So I love that you're doing some work there as well. And maybe that's something we should talk about more on this podcast as well, because realistically, like, of course, we're so focused on our world here, but the the general school climate affects so much of what happens in your classroom and those other teachers and those other administrators need to hear what's happening in the arts classrooms. And that is often so, so different behaviorally, especially um, between like a math class and a music class. And so I think it's important that music teachers, arts teachers are participating in these things. Sometimes it's required, but <laughs> <laughs> I agree. And I generally enjoy that type of work too. I think it's just important to the feeling in our class. So fun to talk about it with other teachers. Um, when is that orchestra cup happening? Did you say that? Yeah, it is. Uh, we're leaving on leap day. So uh, the very first couple days of March is oh, cool. when that is. Awesome. Yeah, very cool. should be really fun. Well, I will share a little bit about what has been going on with me. We are six weeks in and we are just a few weeks away from our first concert. We do a fall concert kind of the end of the first week of October. And that features all of our audition groups. So the string orchestra, our wind ensemble and the jazz band, and excited for that to happen. The past two years, it's taken place outdoors two years ago because we had to uh, as we returned from remote learning. And last year I chose to put it out there because I kind of liked the outdoor feel. 
And then after last year, I just thought more about that. And I'm excited that we're moving indoors this year and we'll be back inside. There's just a lot less variables that are a factor when we're indoors and particularly for orchestras, just a more- For strings, yep. Yeah, just a much more <laughs> pleasing acoustic environment despite being a gymnasium, but that's okay. We had our first playing assessment in the classes a couple of weeks ago. And for all the classes, that was on a fundamental. And that was really, really helpful for me. I mentioned in the last episode that there are just a lot of students in our classes this year. And while I'm really excited about that, I also know that there are just kids that are struggling and I don't know who they are or where they're struggling. That, that's been the thing that's been on my mind of like, I know there's kids that are in need and it's hard to know that I don't know who they are as much as I want to. So that assessment was really helpful because I found a lot of those kids. And in the last week or two, I have been meeting with those kids during our access period, which is like a pull-in kind of period throughout the day for students can get extra help or just do homework and things. So it's been nice to spend some one-on-one -on -one time with a lot of those students and, you know, things that seem so obvious to us that I'm like, how did you not know this? When I work with a kid, I'm like, oh yeah, I see how you didn't know that. That makes a lot of sense. And, and small little things where, you know, kids that didn't get their instrument taped at the beginning of the year because maybe they didn't think they needed to. And then we got together and was like, would you like me to put some tapes on that? And they're like, yeah. yeah, that'd be really helpful. I'm like, okay, well, let's just do that, right? I love that. Yeah, and now you know where all of those notes live because you have a visual representation. So that's been really, really great. I talked at the end of last season about wanting to create a music council on my site with some student leaders. And I had two meetings over the last month or so that were just kind of exploratory meetings. and. I invited any seventh or eighth grader to come in. I didn't invite the sixth graders for a few different reasons, primarily because they're just new to the program. Um, but they are also just maturity wise, a little bit younger for a lot of those conversations. And there were just some open prompts for the kids and um, some surveys about things that they liked about the program and what they enjoyed, but also things that they thought could be better. And then we did some follow up in the second one. And that was just really great. We had an awesome turnout. I think we had like 80 or 90 kids at both of those meetings, which is just great Holy to see. Moly. Yeah, it was just a lot of kids that wanted to, you know, that's awesome. Be together and talk about the stuff that we're doing in the program, but also I think to share time together. Because it's so many students, I think one of the challenges will be trying to figure out like how do we actually harness this beast of a thing into something that feels actually actionable. But we're planning on meeting every other week, at least for now, for the foreseeable future throughout the year. And so we'll have our first kind of formal meeting after those exploratory meetings this upcoming week. And at that meeting, one of the things the kids talked about was just like the state of the room and equipment. So I was like, okay, well, let's take, let's take the first 10 minutes of our meeting to go do like a cleanup day. And a lot of the kids were, that was a suggestion from the students of, can we just check in on the school instruments and see if they need any maintenance? I was like, yeah, why don't we do that together? Cause I don't, <laughs> I don't have the time to do all that. You talked about social media. Um, I am inept at social media in all of the ways, but I'm, I'm pretty good at like achieving a task when given one. So one of the things we'll do is I'm just going to have a, a little committee that creates a calendar of what photos or videos will be taken on each day Huge. for the next two weeks. Yeah. And it's just going to be making sure that it's representative of the, all of the different classes and programs and trying to, you know, capture different student groups within those. So I'm excited about that because the kids hopefully will just tell me what to do and then I will do it or have one of them do it. Totally. Uh, and then we're getting ready for our first concert. So they'll have some role in making that a little extra special in some way. Maybe it's a little extra decor or having some students pass out programs and things. So that's kind of the plan for at least the beginning of that. But I'm just excited that the kids are excited to be doing stuff together and feels like they have some cool ideas and immediately just excited to have more student voices being heard. 
it's more work on your end and also it's worth its weight in gold when students are the ones coming up with the ideas on how they want to improve it and then they can see it like it's completely different if you're like today we're doing cleanup everyone is going to participate in this and they'll do it but when they are the ones coming up with it that's how you get the kids who really really want to be there and bring in all the other people who want to be there that's awesome good for you for starting that thanks i'm really excited i'm just practically speaking right now i am just feeling like there's not enough of me to do all of the things totally some of that is just because there's more of me being given to my own life and my family and that is not something that i am sorry for at all i want to be able to give more of that than i already am um, but i also want the the program to be as full and rich as it can be I was just thinking we actually have a couple of student-led groups that the students just came to me and said like can we do this we have a student-led jazz band that's meeting during our access periods and they're just doing all that on their own and then we have a student-led full orchestra which has been very fun to watch them yeah put together in all the ways but it's like 40 kids that are just show up on friday afternoons and they're picking their own rep and just wading their way through the beginnings of student-led rehearsals but it's it's totally. fun to see all those kids just enthusiastic about wanting to make more music together it's, it's really 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 cool that's a learning process for them and it's like it's many teachers would say no many teachers would say like oh no like we're in middle school like no we're in, i don't have time for this or whatever and like i think it's very cool that you're giving them the space to explore i would like to say yes whenever i can when the kids ask for sure is your music council meeting during lunchtime is that Right now we're meeting during access and the only reason we're meeting not okay. during because lunch would be ideal, but we have two lunches at our school. One of them is oh, all okay. the sixth yeah. graders and like half the seventh graders. And then the other one is half the seventh graders and all the eighth graders. So if if all the seventh and eighth graders were in one period, that's probably would be when we would meet because it would make sense. I don't like using access when I don't have to because I want the kids to be able to take advantage of that time. But I one of my survey items for the students was like, when were kids available? And after school was just we were just going to lose a portion of kids if we picked an after school day because for sure every day of the week somebody's got conflicts. Yes, yeah, sports, all the things. Yeah. Yeah. No, so. I just I mean, it's cool that your teacher or that your administration will allow you to hold meetings like that during access. Our similar time does not. Um, it doesn't work like that. I have. Um... I have not heard anything to the contrary yet. From uh, my yeah, I'm also a big fan of do it until someone tells you not to. I've been very careful to not use the word club with anything that we're associated with right now. It's just, yep, it's just a, sure. coun a council. Well, uh, we are already sort of chatting about what's going on, but we're going to set the stage for our bigger conversation, which is kind of an extension of what we're already doing. As we mentioned, we're six weeks in. Today is September 24th, just a few days after our last recording, and we're getting close to the end of quarter one. So we're going to check in on the progress and goals of each of our various string classes. We're going to just see what have we been focusing on, what are our primary goals as the year starts, and through those goals, how are things actually going? I'm going to start first and we're kind of going to work in order from our least experienced students to our most experienced students. And since I teach middle school, my least experienced students are my sixth graders. Those are mostly in strings one, which is our string, our, our sixth grade strings class. We do have a small number of sixth graders that get placed in the second level class that have extensive experience. But uh, that class this year is about 50 students. And I'm really, really excited to be working with them especially at this point, because I think that they are now at an appreciably different place than we were at the very beginning of the year. They know how to do many more things than we did at the beginning of the year. But not surprisingly, as we started the year, so much of what we were working on 
um, was posture, 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 and position related things. And a lot of that directly connected to a lot of the expectations of just being a student in orchestra and what is it like to walk in and out of the room and how do we present ourselves? What is our level of engagement and concentration? One of the biggest differences I've been doing this year, my posture, and this came through our conversation last year, is all of my students are sitting at the front of their chair. I have always told the kids that they can either sit at the front or at the back. And I have, I think that's made a huge difference for the kids. I've got like a really quick word track that I'm constantly saying, usually before a rep of back straight, feet flat, butt toward the front of the chair. And and a lot of times it's elbows off, uh, elbows off your ribs for our violin and viola players. And I think that's been really great. I think the kids just look more alert and engaged and it avoids a lot of problems that I think were there before that I didn't noticed were being contributed to by just sitting at the back or somewhere in the middle of the chair. Something that I think is exciting for the class, but it has been a little bit of a challenge is to me, compared to the past two years, I think my sixth graders overall just feel further along than they have the past two years. I think some of that is just feeling like the string program, um, particularly the elementary level, is in a better spot with consistent instruction. Um, and some of it is just the kids, you know, I hate referring back to this thing, but it, it does feel like, you know, the the return to learning, uh, which has now been like three years of that, just had a long, continues to have long impacts. I'm sure you're feeling that as you've got like your freshman this Absolutely. year. <laughs> Those yeah. were the last kids that, that I had at the start of the middle school year. So the positive of that is I feel like like 50% of my class looks like they know how to hold their violin. They they looked like they knew how to hold their instruments pretty pretty well, I would say. And I did not feel that way at all the past two years. It has felt much more like I'm teaching true beginners. But I do have a lot of true beginners in the class. I take students that are brand new at all levels, but especially in sixth grade. And we have a lot of students that move in in sixth grade. So there are kids that are just holding their instruments for the very first time. And it has been a little bit more of a challenge to try and meet that gap of keeping the kids that have learned the thing. Uh, I'm using that in air quotes um, beforehand and the kids that are have learned nothing beforehand and trying to still have them on the same learning track while differentiating what that experience is like for them. There are very few kids that don't need feedback. That is something I feel very clear about. In terms of their skill development on their playing activities with the left hand, I introduced the open escalator pattern. I've talked about that before. It's a pattern of a whole step and then three half steps. So on the D string, it's D, E, F natural, F sharp, and G. So it introduces kind of most of the finger patterns they're going to use for a long time um, on their open strings. And we do that on the D and the A string. And then we transition that to the D major scale. So all of those notes are in the open escalator patterns. We just take out the F natural and the C natural. So then they get familiar with the scale. A lot of that is to reinforce their own fingerboard geography of knowing where the the notes are going to live. So we do a lot of chanting back and forth of the patterns. And then, of course, reinforcing great left-hand technique that supports all of the posture and position work that we've already learned. We expanded that a couple of weeks ago to include the G-string. So they're familiarizing themselves with the notes on the G string. And then I just introduced the E and the C string. So a lot of what we'll do with that pattern in the next couple of weeks is we'll just play it through on all of the strings. And again, it's reinforcing a lot of fingerboard awareness for the kids of just knowing where the notes live on all of those strings so that when we see them on the page, they already know where to find that note on their instrument. Um, On the literacy side, I do a note ID quiz in the second week of school. And what that quiz looks like is I go on a musictheory.net and I create some customized exercises that include 
all of the notes, but eventually they get quizzed on just their D major scale, just those seven notes, um, including the octave. And they have to identify 20 notes within one minute, which is pretty quick. And for most of the kids, it is a little bit of a challenge. For some of the kids, it's no challenge. And then for some of the kids, it's a big challenge. But the way I teach, and everybody teaches it differently, I never teach any of the acronyms or any of the like phrases of every good book, all of that stuff. I don't do any of that. I just, I just teach, I just say, memorize it. That's what I do. And the kids learn it. And that usually is pretty effective. We do a lot of note naming in the book when we get into essential elements. I really, really, really wish that essential elements book one did not have the letters written in because it is this crutch that I just don't think is necessary. And um, we are just getting to the point where the letters go away. And I know that I'm going to have a couple of kids that have just been relying on that that are going to go, oh no, what do I do now? On the right-hand side of things, I uh, introduced the bow hold. We do a lot of exercises of just trying to create some awareness of that bow hold because the truth for me is that like the kids are always going to have issues when they start putting it on the instrument. So I don't ever feel like they're going to get to a point where it's like they're issue free and now we put it on, but I try and get to a point where they at least know where the issues are so that they can stop and, and reset their bow hold. And then we start playing Mississippi stop, stop all over the instrument. We start on the D string. I, I set the Met to 60 beats per minute. That's kind of where I live with that class for the whole first quarter with the, with the Mississippi stop, stop stuff. And we do a lot of call and response. We eventually put that onto the open escalator pattern and it's just back and forth for me to them. I play the U play, then we do D major and then we play twinkle twinkle on the D and the A string um, on all the instruments except for bass, uh, of course. And uh, we do a lot of twinkle twinkle because that is really, really hard for the kids to do well. So we've been twinkling a lot. I always, my poor joke with the kids is they always rush that. Um, as soon as they start to put the left hand and the right hand in, and I call that tinkle tinkle because it's like if you really need to go to the bathroom and you just, <laughs> I just need to go. A um, bathroom so, joke will yes. always slay in sixth grade. It's, it's been crushing it. Um, we just moved twinkle twinkle over to the G and the D strings. So we're playing it in G as well. So that's just been another extension of that. And then something I've been doing differently this year is I'm introducing the longbow a lot earlier than I have in the past. I've usually waited until honestly, kind of like second quarter, not intentionally like waiting for that timeline. It's just, I've just waited longer. And I think I realized that I waited too long in the past for that to feel comfortable for the kids. So we've been doing the, uh, I've stolen your longbow challenge. I was um, just going to say, I feel like I've talked about the longbow you challenge have. on here. <laughs> yes. And I've, I've totally stolen that. So we've done the longbow challenge um, starting at 60. Now we're kind of more like 66 or 68. And a lot of feedback for the kids doing some pure work of just where does your bow, what does your bow look like in terms of straightness? And not surprisingly, they are all over the place with that. I expand that into, I've been calling it the slightly less long bow, which is playing like at 70 beats per minute, just quarter note bows of, of long bows, which to me, in my opinion, are not truly frog to tip. That feels like a little longer than is natural for sure for the kids to make a good sound. So, you know, I call it the slightly less long bow. And once they get pretty good at that and we can play like four down and up quarter notes on a string, we start to go back into essential elements. And some of the exercises we've been playing pizzicato, we just put the bow in. And I do that before the bow enters the, the actual book itself. And we do everything just back and forth, back and forth, up and down. So there are some awkward bowings after rests and things, but 
that's kind of where we're at right now. In terms of repertoire, we're just working in essential elements and that will be true probably for the next week. And then I'll, I'll put something in front of them for December just because the kids will get really excited about doing that and it will be very hard for them. And when you're talking about December music, that usually looks like an orchestral arrangement, right? Like yes. something where people are playing different parts. Cool. Yep, where we've got five parts in there. And um, yeah, that always, every single year, the first time we do a sight reading of anything like that is kind of a day of organized panic from the students of like, wait, oh, this is chaos. a really, really yeah. big leap for us. And we didn't realize it. Mine doesn't sound like theirs. Yeah, yes. you're right. They, they, they immediately go to the blame game of reasons of why I like, no, wait, yeah. this is your I And I'm like, no, their job is different <laughs> than yours. Like, don't tell them it's their fault. You focus on your job. I make a huge deal of it is like when we finally get to graduate to like, let's play different things that sound good together. Yes. I love it. Couple thoughts um, and questions for you. First thing was just that that longbow challenge. Realistically, we're almost never going to be using that much bow. I'm doing it to help them map like how much bow there really is. I love that you're doing this like quarter note long, like slightly less longbow, because that's realistically what they use. I think I might have mentioned this also, but at no point is a sixth grader, especially, actually getting to the tip of their bow. Yes. We go to what I call your own personal tip of your bow, which is usually, you know, three to seven inches away from the actual tip. It's wherever their arm can be extended forward at full length. And then and we mark where that is often. I will often even tape where that is for a lot of kids or sticker where that is. But I think that's realistically much more what kids are using. But I think the reason for doing longer bow stuff earlier is just because if they get really used to using three inches of bow, it's really hard to get them to open up. So if we can start to map that early, that's great. Um, and then I really resonated with like what you were saying about kids who, um, or just like the mixed level nature of a, of a quote beginning or early strings class. I think it's more pronounced there than ever, because not only are you dealing with different levels, like you will in all strings classes, you're also dealing with this, like, uh, like ego is the wrong word, but this idea of like kids really wanting to show you like, oh, I already know this. Like, I don't, I don't need this review. And then I think that when, when a kid feels disengaged in that way or not seen in that way, that's when they get really turned off to it. So I think actually a huge part of this class or like a class at this level is figuring out how to utilize those kids who know the things to help engage them to teach the kids who are completely new. And I'm sure you're doing tons of that, but I think that means that I'm seating in non-traditional ways. That means I'm having kids do all the example playing for me. Um, like and having every kid who's advanced feel like they were seen in some way, in addition to all the FaceTime that you're giving to the kids who are new. That just comes to mind when I'm hearing about your strings one class, but it sounds like things are going really well. They are going well. And um, yeah, on that last point, it, it has felt more challenging than in the past. And I try and not have too much ego about that because sometimes kids come up to you and, you and they kind of like question like, we're going too slow. When are we going to move this faster? This is too easy. Oh, yeah. they're always going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and as the teacher, it is hard not to be like, let me tell you what you don't know right now. And yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't want them to get put down from that because they're asking out of, of like a general desire to improve and get better. Um, yeah. So I do try and, and I try and not make it about the other students, to be honest. I did try not to say we're going slowly for other kids. I try and tell them all of the Absolutely. things that they can and should continue to focus on through all of that. Um, but I also want to give them maybe not carrots, but I want them to give them the thing that they're wanting. So I'm trying to find a mix of pacing mm -hmm. of things, you know, and, and to provide, I was reminded after our last recording, I was like, I, I wanted our Friday class to feel like the kids left going out like, yeehaw, like we did the thing. So we did a lot of stuff with like a drum machine and playing along yeah. and for all the kids, it just feels like they're doing 
they're making music. They're not, they're not learning how to eventually make music. So that was actually really helpful for me. But yeah, it's, it has been hard to find that balance more so this year than in the past. As your classes get big, I mean, 50 is huge, right? But I think it's, we are trained to try to aim for this middle, like where everyone is, is sort of like a little bit stretched. But I think realistically, it's more like at some point in the class, every kid will feel stretched, but it'll be at a different time. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely true. And also in regards to like a kid who comes up to you and is like, this is too easy or whatever. I think like the default human reaction is to be like, you're wrong and here's why. <laughs> but I think what we what's helpful to try to hear is like a kid telling you, I don't feel seen in your class right now, yeah, right? Like totally. I don't feel like I'm like my skills are being used. And so I think it's more, it's exactly what you said of like, let's try to like, what what are ways that you can, you can be helpful to other people? And um, like, what are ways that you can demonstrate your skills? Like, and sometimes it's like, great, then like, oh, awesome. I saw you were working on third position. Why don't we like your goal for this next week is to play all of essential elements in third position or whatever. Mm -hmm. But like, it's also like, wow, I noticed that you're such a good um, demonstrator of your, of the way you're using your bow. Would you be willing tomorrow to help demonstrate this way? It's it's because the kid isn't feeling seen is why yes. they're coming to talk to you. Yes. And I, whenever I do, like I will often do, we're going to play an exercise. Now let me hear a small group of eight to 12 kids. I want to make sure that kid is in that group of eight to 12 for all of the totally. reasons that you just said. I want them to feel like they're able to demonstrate. And oftentimes it it's maybe highlights for them something they thought was was right, but is a little less right than they thought. And that is also a nice opportunity for them just to, to see how they could get better. So all those things. And that one-on-one -on -one connection you make with them in that conversation is a way to like change the culture of your group, right? Because what they are coming to you with is like, oh, there's there's the good ones and the bad ones, and that's not the culture you want to set. And so you're like, it's a chance for you to redirect and be like, wow, like this is what our group needs right now. And I totally understand how that could be frustrating. And also here are the ways you can help. Totally. You're reminding me, and then I'll move on to my next level group. And regarding seating, at the beginning of the year in all of my classes, the kids are set in alphabetical order by last name within their section. Mm -hmm. um, and that happens for the first like three weeks. And then once I've learned names and rosters have kind of settled, I do my first seat shakeup and that is just a shakeup. And it usually is taking kids that are further away from me and bringing them closer and kids that were closer and moving them further away and doing a mix of personalities and definitely trying to bring my true beginners to the front for me yep. because that's where I have the most access to them and can see the things most totally. for them. We will probably change seats again, probably right after the October concert, um, even though they don't, they don't perform in that concert. So another three weeks, two or three weeks from now, and we'll do another yeah. shakeup. And that will probably be a little bit more thoughtful about some mixed ability based things and maybe giving some kids that have some leadership in them, some leadership responsibilities through some seating things. But th that will continue to mix like, at least one, if not more times before the December concert. That sounds great. All right. Well, on to my second group. Strings 2 is my middle level strings group. And that is a mix of grades. It is 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. It is about 50 kids again. And it is largely 7th graders. So probably like 35 of those kids are in 7th grade five or six eighth graders, and then the rest of them are some sixth graders that had extensive experience. Almost all of them finished last year in strings one. Our eighth graders um, were in strings two last year, so it's a repeat course for them. And then the sixth graders are brand new. So a very different challenge in terms of, of mixed skill levels, but a challenge. Most of what I do in the first month, I would say, so the first four weeks is true review of things that they did um, in strings one. So in Strings 1, we end up covering all of Essential Elements Book 1 and Essential Elements Book 2. And um, I don't, 
I do use the book for some of the review, but a lot of what I do is I review exercises that are going to support what they did in those books. So on those escalator patterns I talked about, I do the open escalator on the open strings. And then we do a first finger escalator, which starts on the first finger note on any string. So on the D string, that's E, F sharp, G, G sharp, and A. And then we do another escalator called the ringtone escalator, which I won't explain in detail, but essentially exposes them to the low first finger, that backwards extension first finger. So what we're doing is we are reviewing and building towards that first position chromatic scale because I want them to feel really confident playing in tune before we start to shift, which is what we've just started to do in the last couple of weeks. Connected to all of that review is a lot of rhythmic review. And I would say with this group, something that has always been surprising to me at the beginning of the year is how much review they need on playing those rhythms accurately and together. Even Mississippi Stop Stop, which is the thing they were doing like since they were born on their string instruments, they, they don't play it in time at the very beginning of the year. So we have to do a lot of review about why that's true. And some of that is connected to just some fundamental bow hold and their geography of the direction of their bow um, or geometry of the direction of their bow. But they struggle to subdivide those rhythms as evenly as I might expect them to. I have in the past used the Michael Allen daily warmups for string orchestra packet with my top group with a string orchestra group. And this year I introduced that with strings too, mostly because I wanted to use the, the first four exercises, which are just some of these simple Suzuki style bowing rhythms together. And again, um, it's really hard for them to play that together as a group. We're trying to establish that ensemble level listening and matching through a lot of that work right now. I also use Essential Elements Books too, has a lot of different like rhythmic vocabulary that they introduce. So I don't know that we'll work our way all the way through all of that because some of it I think is a little more specific to maybe certain repertoire that we might be doing. Like I don't need them to have mastery on all of those things right away, but we are using a lot of that to connect the, the sound of the rhythm to the site of the rhythm with them. Um, again, all of that being review. As I mentioned in the past couple of weeks, we started doing some shifting and that means that we've begun using essential technique, which is the third book in the essential elements series. I introduce another escalator pattern, which is the third position escalator pattern. I've talked about that on our shifting episode in the past, and it's basically playing the escalator pattern up in third position. So they're kind of translating their first finger escalator patterns just up to their third position notes. And that is mostly to establish fingerboard geography awareness in third position. It's funny, I did that with them for probably two weeks before we properly started shifting. We were playing some exercises from essential technique in third position, so they were playing some of the notes there. But as soon as we started shifting, I would ask the kids, how do you know where to put your fingers as you apply new notes once you got up in a third position? And the, the answers varied for many different things of like trying to guess and trying to hear it and trying to, and what I, what I, what seemed so obvious to me, but was not obvious to them was like, you know, that third position escalator that we've been doing for two weeks, you know how we named all the notes where they were? When you go into third position, put the notes where we learned them from that escalator pattern. They were like, oh yeah, I know where B flat and B natural go up in third position. I just kind of forgot. We will start doing some vibrato in that group, or at least the beginnings of vibrato next week. Um, I have that on my lesson plan for next week and uh, check out a vibrato episode at the end of last season for kind of what that will look like. But I am going to follow very much that week by week model that you had shared from your resources from that episode. 
In terms of repertoire with this group, I do some beginning of the year rep with them, which we will not perform at a proper concert, but I, I will work it up to kind of performance level over the course of the next two weeks. We usually do some recordings that are kind of like our little performance project as a, a capstone to that. And we're playing Fiddles on Fire by Mark Williams, and that helps to, to reinforce many things, but especially just that rhythmic togetherness. And the kids really like playing that piece. We're playing Desert Sands by Soon-Hee Newbold, and that involves a lot of low first finger, low second finger, just some chromatic patterns that the kids learned last year but are less familiar to them, and they just they require a lot of work because they're out of tune. Mm -hmm. And we're playing Westminster Prelude and Fugue by David Schaefer. So that's what's going on with strings too. Super fun. Um, I love how thoughtful you are about this intermediate level class because it can be so challenging, especially when you've got kids retaking the course, right? Yeah. And I think the rep makes it sort of follows a similar formula to things that I would try to follow as well. So something with those kinds of um, fiddling, bowing things that would be useful. And then definitely a low one and highlight piece is always great. There's a lot of great repertoire out there for exactly those things. Sounds like it's going well. Yeah, I'm really excited about that group. And the vibe in that group has been really, really great. Really, really good positive energy. Great group of core seventh graders. And then the eighth graders in that group just have a really fun personality about them. I'm always really worried about them oh, because so they've taken the uh -huh. class in the past for most of them. And I many of their eighth grade colleagues are not in the class with them anymore. So I always want them to feel super seen. I should say, uh, again, on the seating front, I start them off with all seating by last name within their sections. And then very quickly, I think end of the second week or the third week, we did our first shakeup and I put the eighth graders right up front yeah. because I want them to be seen for that reason. And uh, we will definitely shake things up a, f a few times again before December comes, but that's where we're at right now. That sounds great. All right, on to my last group, which is String Orchestra. This is our auditioned ensemble, and it's a mix of 7th and 8th graders. This year, I have 62 kids in this class, which is 22 more, actually 23 more than I had last year. And while that is really exciting, it, it has, it's been really challenging. The class is really big, and the variance in skill level is just much bigger than it's been in this group especially over the past two years. And I think that's a natural development of, I think, things growing, but it's been hard. I mean, some of my top players in that group are truly some of the best players on their instruments in the state of California. And then I have other students in that group who are, are just getting by, but show that they can and should be in that group for a variety of reasons. Especially one of those challenges is the, the violas in the group. A lot of our, the violas, I think half the section are some violin players that moved over to viola last year. And while there's a lot that is transferring for those kids, their confidence in their reading is still developing. And they all, they all are reading, I think, pretty well on alto clef, but it's just, it's just different than it was before. And there's something about that lower sound of the viola that, I don't know, it, this is not the, probably the right word track, but it does feel like you have to work a little harder to get that sound to project and to get through the ensemble. And I feel like I'm just really trying to encourage them to get more sound out through the group. Totally. Thicker string. I mean, they mm -hmm. need more pressure. They need more, yes. a lot of things to make that yes. happen. I do do seating auditions with the top group at the very beginning of the year. And I'm excited for us to hopefully have a conversation about seating in the future because how I feel about that is fine. I think that it does serve a, a need in the group, but I don't feel 100% on it for a lot of reasons. But 
Uh, I do that at the very beginning of the year. I share those materials with them in the spring. And those materials are the Coda Allstate audition materials. And those are generously provided by Coda so that all of my students have access to them. And the challenge of those materials is particularly for the violins. Those are really 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 hard for the kids and it, it is a little on purpose for the kids to be stretched i mean it's it's a placement audition so we're supposed to see where the kids are in varying different places but for some of those kids it's it's kind of a hard way to start the year for them because it feels like they're playing material that is truly overwhelming and and will never ever be that hard for them within their ensemble repertoire for the year but it also gets the kids familiar with the audition materials and we have a, a number of students that will likely audition for those honor groups and it just gives them reinforcement on all of that. I'm excited to talk more about seating in the future because it's something that I've just done it because I've done it and I know that I want to think more about it because I think there's other ways to think about it. Totally. In terms of the skill development with a class where I mentioned um, on our first episode this season, we're using the habits of a successful middle level string musician book. And this is the first time I'm using that and I'm very excited to be using it. But admittedly, I'm just getting used to it. So I feel a little less organized and kind of like what is the long-term trajectory of the class and how does this book fit into all of that? But what we've been doing in it, I found very rewarding. A lot of the work we're doing is developing a consistent quality of tone and bow control. And with the level of variance of where the kids are at in this class, that looks really different. You know, even in this top group, I have students whose bow hold is, is really unhealthy. Lots and lots of straight pinkies, especially when we're working in long bows. I am this is something I took away from last year, just insisting, especially with this group, that they have awareness of what lane they are playing in with their bow at all times. And even if that's that they're defaulting to the middle lane, that is where I want them to be doing right now. So we're insisting on lane three in all of our fundamental work, unless it's something, there are a couple of examples we're doing that have uh, some dynamic elements to them and we're playing around there. But in the rep, then when once we're able to establish that lane three, I'm able to reference lane the other lanes and the kids are able to at least have some awareness of how to get there. That was something that I don't think I have done enough early enough so that when the kids applied it, it was it was kind of causing issues. The first playing assessment I did with this class was for those of you that have the habits book number seven a, which is a D major scale that goes up and down to the ninth scale degree. And I just had them play it all the way up to the ninth and stop because we did it live in class. And the goal of that was that they had a good bow hold with a rounded pinky and a bent thumb that they went from frog to tip and that they stayed in lane three. And that was very, very illuminating for a lot of the kids. And it forced a lot of the kids to really, really focus on that middle lane piece. We are doing a lot of the finger pattern work in that habits book, as well as some scale exercises. And I really, you know, I don't think the kids show up for this stuff, but I just love a technique exercise, like one that really, really pushes the kids and that they kind of get... It's like a brain twister of them of switching between that high and low second finger as they move around. And I really like a lot of the technique stuff that is in the book so far. We're playing some Mozart and all of the students have experience playing off the string stuff from the past, but that development needs a lot of review. So we're doing a lot of spiccato work within the book. And then all of the students learned how to play with vibrato in the past because I've, I've taught them all in the past how to do that. But I kind of spent about two weeks doing kind of fast tracking that like vibrato exercises without the bow. And then we have since been focusing on our vibrato with the bow. I think something I want to do more of is just figure out like what kind of material are we focusing on vibrato 
um, with specifically with on vibrato, you know, all of their playing, they're using vibrato. But if we're just focusing on vibrato, like what kind of stuff am I having them play? And right now, the kind of stuff I'm having them play are scales. That's what we're playing is a lot of scales. And then uh, the, all of the students have learned how to shift in the past. Most of the work we've been doing so far is just reviewing the technique of how they're doing that within the book. So we're not doing some extensive shifting. We're just doing some beginnings of getting ourselves in and out of third position or a little fourth and fifth position for the cellos and basses. And again, just trying to make sure the kids are doing that in a healthy way. With the repertoire with this group, we're playing a Mozart opera overture, Overture to Lucio Silla by Sandra Dachau. That piece has them doing some shifting, at least in the first violins. I don't think the seconds have to do any shifting. Is that yes, right? Yep. Yeah, okay. That's you great. got it. And um, and of course, doing a lot of off-the-string playing. We're playing Swan Lake by Tchaikovsky, arranged by Michael Hopkins. And that is awesome. For anybody who hasn't checked it out, it is basically cut and paste in terms of the form of the piece from the original, but it's moved from B minor to E minor. So everything is in first position. Which movements of the suite is it? Or is it, is it mostly It is. It's, 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 so I don't know from the suite, but in the opera, it's act two. I think it's number 10. It's the transformation. Got it. Oh, that's very cool. Okay. Hopkins was my thesis advisor at Michigan and his arrangements are great. They really, really are. And yeah, he just he's he just knows so much how to write for young players, and yeah. it sounds it's just I think it sounds like the piece, in my opinion. Your creators might like um, "Secret World" by him. It's one to Ooh, look at. Okay, I'll have to check it out. <laughs> and uh, we're also playing "Perpetual Fiddle Motion" by Brian Balmages, and that is actually a repeat for me from my first year. I don't like to repeat music within a cycle of kids being within the school, and I'll be honest, I kind of was just struggling. I, I wanted to find something fiddly and was struggling a little bit and I, I went back to this piece which i enjoy i would say the kids like it fine but we're starting to develop some like insistence on really playing it all the same and also getting the tempo up so i think they're actually having more fun with it now so that's where we're at that's great i love that variety i also always insist it really in the eighth grade time and up maybe seventh grade um, on having some sort of classically spiccato bowed situation early in fall you'll see upcoming that my ninth graders are also where my string orchestras are doing the same just because i think there's so much to learn about unified ensemble playing from just that my thought um, back on the habits book is just that the the habits book, I think it's totally reasonable, especially when you have a book for the first time of trying to figure out how it fits into your class. The habits book is also organized significantly differently than other books. Uh, for those of you unfamiliar, like the first, say maybe third of it is like technique stuff. And then the last two thirds of the book is actually like a different key signature. Um, and there's materials that are similar, but um, that go through each of those keys. And I like to use those keys a lot, even in the middle of class, like as we're moving from Mozart to Tchaikovsky, um, and we're going to play something in E minor because we're about to go there. And the thing I like about those really specifically is that tuning canon that's right on the top of the page. Yeah. Um, and so we just like really quickly, we play the tuning canon, and then we go right on back to um, Swan Lake just to get our ears back in that key, or we play the scale in the arpeggio. Very cool. All right. Well, thank you for sharing all of what's going on in your classrooms. Um, I'm, you know, just energized to hear all of the really thoughtful work you're putting into your three different levels. But I'm happy to share a little bit about what's going on in my classes as well. 
And I will go also in a similar order, starting for my string orchestras. Our string orchestras at our school are grades nine through 12 mixed and non-auditioned. So it's anyone who almost always has played a string or instrument before. We do take some beginners for um, kids who have moved in or or various other reasons, but they are non-auditioned and we have two classes of 50 each. So um, kind of um, they, they perform together and separately, most of the time separately. It's an interesting mix because we don't have a freshman orchestra like most high schools might. We do just fully mixed. And so that means that socially from the very beginning, there are 12th graders sitting next to ninth graders and, and there's a big like portion of the class that's just figuring that out. Seating, the first three weeks of school, we do um, random seating and we actually change the seating every single day of class. So we have name cards and for uh, I, I move people through rows, everyone plays first, everyone plays second. I try to see uh, every freshman with a non-freshman all, for every single class period. But literally for the first three weeks of school, they get a new seat every day. It is um, a lot of work on our end to make that happen. Yeah. And also it is, um, in my opinion, worth it. And we do that until seating auditions. School started on August 11th or so. Auditions were September 1st. So just in that time, we're sight reading music. Kids don't yet have their own folder. We are doing some technique development, but it's just happening in a different way. After seating auditions, then they're seated. Um, we pull, um, certainly the first row is like um, section leaders and folks who are um, where we want to sit up front and they're going to help make a lot of Boeing decisions, section decisions, all of that. That kind of stuff. Other than that, um, a lot of the seating is high and low. So that means that there are stronger kids that are sitting next to kids who need a lot more support. For kids who are totally new, we actually always seat them with someone who um, we can actually send them out to a practice room to work on some stuff with. So very often that's a junior or senior who is uh, like a mid to high level player who definitely knows their fingerings really well, but that gives them a chance to sort of have some leadership and teaching experience as well. For our seating auditions, much like what Pat was saying, we use the CODA string orchestra uh, repertoire, which for those unfamiliar, the CODA holds a December honor orchestra that has two different levels, symphony and string. Those actually have two different audition excerpts. And then for our older kids, which I'll talk about later, they use the symphony excerpts. That's the word. They use the symphony excerpts. But um, one thing that we do do um, for our CODA string excerpts for seating auditions, we actually truncate them partially because for some kids, this is such a big reach to be playing any of these orchestral excerpts. And so we we do a shortened version of them. We offer um, different scales as um, and they actually get to choose which scale they play. And we can talk about seating a little bit more extensively later in seating auditions. But after seating auditions, we also tell them like your seating audition means that it's going to tell us where you're going to sit, where you're going to sit has very little reflection on like where you actually are as a player. We are and then we do a lot of one on one meetings for feedback. For a while, we used to provide feedback to every kid. Um, We've, for various reasons, stopped doing that, but we do provide it. We have a lot of meetings with kids about feedback, um, and we're always happy to provide that. We switch through to um, technique books every year, um, but this year we are using Expressive Techniques for Orchestra, and it's one that is new to me, actually. I think we bought it during the pandemic and then didn't use it much that year for obvious reasons, but it's Dachau, Alexander, and Anderson. And so far, I've really enjoyed just like the first two pages of Boeing techniques. And um, there's a big, big, big chunk in the middle on shifting and it does shifting in lots of different ways. And I really appreciate that. I always like when it does the shifting exercises and then also provides orchestral um, examples of how that shifting might apply. And so we do a bunch of that. Yes. I'm, I'm enjoying the book so far. So I'm still the same thing as what Pat just said. I'm getting to know this book. I don't know it as well. Um, and then I also, since I co-teach all my classes, my co-teacher and I 
we lead warmups sort of parallel into different tracks on our two long days where she does one of the long days, I do one of the long days. And so we're each hitting different subjects. And so within within a week, a kid should get warmups on rhythm, bow, shifting technique stuff, um, like just across the board. And that's something that I, that I do try to be more thoughtful about because for a really long time, I just like used the book in order and then was like, oh wait, that's not how they were missing a lot of things. We also do provide a warm-up packet that has lots of other supplementary materials. It has a lot of like the string skills, rhythm challenges that we have a bunch of like bowing technique pages that we use. And we also have this set of corrals that is in our warm-up packet. So on like our short day, when we don't feel like passing out our books, then we'll just do our warm-up packet stuff. That's all great. Our string orchestras, again, because we are such a big and mixed class, um, we kind of have a lot of things that are happening concurrent to our repertoire. So we are, we're working on fall repertoire, but then separate from that, our 10th, 11th, and 12th graders in the class, which is about 30 of the kids of the 50, they are also going out once or twice a week to work in their small ensembles, which they've been assigned a, a small group to work on. That could be as small as a trio and as big as a, uh, sometimes we go up to like, 10 or 11 folks, but they are in um, self-led rehearsals where they are working on a piece um, just on their own without a director. And then they will perform in early November. And so that's happening concurrently during our class time. And that also gives us a chance. Uh, we do it purposely this way with 10th, 11th, and 12th graders out so that we have freshman orchestra once a week. And that gives us a chance to seat everyone up front, double check how everyone's doing, check in. To be, like I do a lot of like, all right, now they're gone are they being nice to you? Like a lot of like, like, how is bio going? Like we do a lot of like checking in with just ninth graders. I think it helps them feel more connected too, because it can be overwhelming to be sitting next to someone who's like 18 and lives a very different life than you. Um, so I think that's great. And I think I've mentioned this before, but we have family groups in these orchestras. And so the seniors are the aunties and uncles uh, and uncles. And this year we have someone who's um, really excited to be called Tio and is he's Tio Noah. So cute. Um, and they have a doctor adopted 11th, 10th, and 9th graders to be in their family groups. And we do lots of like family group social bonding activities, some of it musical, some of it not. And it's also just a chance for them to like explain like, oh, like if you have this teacher for bio honors, it means this. And it gives them this chance to like feel connected outside of the orchestra class. Yeah. And so all I think it's all going really well. Um, we are repertoire wise playing a piece called Zephyr by Karen Neidhold. I'm really enjoying it. It's got drum set. Cool for our upcoming kaleidoscope concert where they're playing it memorized so we've been doing some memory checks and that's also a first chance of our progress check to get that all ready to go the reason for memorization is actually more logistic related where that concert has um ensembles playing all over the theater and um because we're going to be a group of 100 playing it if i can avoid using those 50 stands i will so they yes. memorize that for logistic reasons but also it's good for them to do it right we've been talking about song form why this comes back when how you have to know we did three like uh or we are doing three memory checks. We just finished the first two, but once a week, and they had to just memorize the next chunk of it. For our fall concert, um, similar to what Pat was saying, we are playing a, a classical thing per group. So one of the ensembles is playing Haydn uh, Symphony Number no. 39, First Movement G Minor, um, and that's arranged by Stephen Chin. I really like his work as well. And then we are also, the other classes playing Mozart, Jupiter, uh, Last Movement, um, 41, which is arranged by Caroline Broussel, who also is um, well known in our field for doing great, great string arranging. We had an opportunity to participate in composer Dion Morales's Year of Commissions, 
And so we are working on his piece that he wrote for our string orchestra, which is called Danza de la Resistencia. It's got um, a bomba sica like dance rhythm and some very cool Latin percussion that we're going to get to to um, perform at our fall concert. And actually, we are bringing Dion out to work with our high schools in early October, and he's going to come um, also work with our middle schools because he's coming. They're all each playing a piece of his as well. And so super excited to get to do that with him and to have this special project and to have a piece written for our string orchestra is really special. And it's such a cool project that he's doing. You should check out his work. Super cool. Thank you for sharing all that. I love that your freshman, well, I'm not your freshman group. I love that your mixed level group is getting to experience that commission process. It's cool to hear how you treat the freshmen and because yeah, so many places have a freshman orchestra and I think skill development wise, there's some benefits there. But in my own experience, what I've liked most about the freshman only group is that development of this like cohort of grade level, like mm -hmm. we're together, we're going to go through this program together thing and that you have them mixed within all of the other grades right away, I think is a totally different way of thinking about that. But you're still trying to create opportunities for the kids to feel connected, but it's just through the older students. And I love that you're using those chamber music days to then still have that like freshman time of like, let's tell some orchestra stories together and kind of totally. like, you know, build this, <laughs> this thing we're going to do together. The seat rotation thing, when you say you change them every day, just so I can understand a little bit of the logistics, because that, yeah. that does sound like a ton of work to me. Do you have like cards that you drop on the seats so the kids have to find their, yeah, is that how you do that? Yeah, I would love to tell you about it. I love my name tags so, so, so much. I'm really nerdy about them. Um, they have the first name really big. They have the last name underneath. They also list instrument grade and pronouns on the front. The back also has the student's name so that when I put the card out, the kid doesn't have to walk to the front to see their name. And that's an easy uh -huh. template where you just use a text box in your mail merge and flip it upside down so that it also does that. So every day I'll, I'll collect them by section so I can quickly do it. And then within the section, I'm just mixing up. I, sometimes I literally shuffle it. And sometimes I'm mixing up like high and low and being purposeful about like making sure the kids in the back were in the front. But um, every day before class, it's like a three minute process to just drop all the name cards out. And I, I prearrange them before. So at the day when right when I collect them, I will rearrange them for the next day so that they're mm -hmm. ready. And it I, I said three minutes it actually might even be shorter than that to put out 50 cards. But once they're ready, and it helps me get to know their names and their seats really easily. But that also means that for the first three weeks of class, they are labeled so that it helps me with my learning of their names too. Um, I think we mentioned this the other day, but like, if you aren't sure what a kid's name is, put their card like right in front so that when they come there and sit there, you can associate their name. <laughs> but yeah, it's a little bit of work. I, for me, it's worth it. And impressive that you can do it so quickly. I think I would be, <laughs> I would be slow throughout that process, but I think I probably would overthink it. And I, I like that you're kind of like, you're doing it and you're thinking through it, but also the, the variance of it is really the, the bigger probably priority of just different. We also have a 10 minute passing period, which is unique to high school. So I think a five minute passing period like I had at middle okay. school would be harder, but I did do this with my seventh and eighth graders also. Okay. And I use those cards. We keep those cards anytime we're changing seats or doing a seating shakeup or anything. Instead of putting it on the board, I'm just putting the cards out. I think both are effective, but it's one way for kids to find their names quicker. That makes sense. We have a four minute passing period and I struggle oh my God, to four minutes change is so fast. <laughs> yeah. I like can't change my slide deck that fast enough. It's, it's no, it's, I would have kids if that, if that was me, I would make the class before pack up a little bit earlier and start like putting out the next cards. <laughs> that is a good idea. Or the um, warm up packet that you mentioned there. Is that yeah. something that you and your your colleague put together or are using something prepackaged? 
We are not using something prepackaged. It is now, it has just grown over the years. It has stuff from stringskills.net, Gabe Villaserta's awesome resources. Mm-hmm. It has stuff collected through the pandemic when everyone is doing all this stuff. It has some of the like Angela Harmon reproducible PDF of like, uh-huh. the shifting stuff that we had talked about. And it's just, a, it ends up being a pretty thick packet. We get it copied in the copy room and it goes in every folder. And then so we can refer back to any of that stuff. It has morphed into this thing that every year it becomes bigger. That's very cool. I'm, I have had a desire to try and put something together like that. It's honestly just collected resources over the over the yeah. years. It's not anything fancy. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably how I should start. You mentioned this. I think this, I feel this more in strings than I do in band for some reason, but trying to address all of the various skills are really hard to do. So there is kind of, my approach is it's similar to yours, which is like in a given week, I want them to to be able to like touch each skill specifically and that can be hard because it feels a little harder to like provide depth within that over totally. the course of time. It's it's sort of just like, we're gonna check in on this thing and then we'll check in on yeah. it again next week or next time. I change it all the time. I do like macro and micro. micro. So sometimes it's like, okay, within this week, I wanna make sure that we do shifting on Tuesdays and, and bow stuff on Thursdays and just like always keep that steady. I also do look at like, okay, I know that this piece coming up is gonna have this bowing. And so I wanna make sure that that gets addressed. Yes. And I also look at, okay, like we're gonna really focus on vibrato in this next four weeks. And so like then that might take, take like Monday might be only vibrato for like quite some time. Right. Um, and I think I, I sort of try to just make sure that everything's touched on it. The game changer for me was just laying out a spreadsheet that had the technique development for the year um, and like by week. And so I could make sure that something wasn't getting missed. To be clear, that's like something that I did in maybe my eighth year of teaching, which means that the first seven years was making it up as I went and like maybe hitting some things and maybe not. So yeah, it's not We're all faking it till we make it. I try to make, I, I I do all of that. And then on Fridays for me, I try to make my Fridays feel like, I tell the kids, I'm like, it's kind of like we're going to the gym. Like we're just going to go into a workout through all these things. So a lot of times cool. my Fridays yeah. are like, we're going to take all those skills and we're just going to, we're just going to play. And a lot of times I'm like, the metronome just keeps running or the drum machine just keeps running. And we're just doing all the stuff that we got to get a little into in the week and just applying it back to back. Yeah. I love that. I think um, our Fridays probably are, your Fridays are probably more like our Mondays. We have a short day and two long days. And so our short day is just kind of like a free for all of like, let's figure out what happens. And then, yeah. But I like this idea also. And I think you're naming a thing. Kids also just want to play. So like you can go into the weeds of all the technique development, but if you give them time to play, they will also feel so much more joyful about it. Yeah. Anytime that I've asked a kid, do you want to just run it through? The answer is never no. (laughs) It's like, would you like to run it through or would you like to just... Yeah, <laughs> what kid would be like, no, I'd like to stop and work on the details, please. Can we just count measure 47 for the next five minutes? It's like, no, we're going to... I know. Let's just go. <laughs> Very cool. All right. Um, I will move kind of quickly through our chamber orchestra. For warm-ups in this group, we are using... Um, we also, we cycle through books, but this year we are using the advanced technique for strings, uh, which actually is the essential elements line. And we are using it just because uh, it is convenient and I like their um, shifting fifth position orchestral excerpt stuff. I mean, we really run the gamut with warmups in this group. Some years we just use the Mueller Rush scale books and that's just what it is supplemented by some orchestral or, uh, excerpts. But yeah, it's good. We are doing slow work with three octave scales. We've got a, a wider range in our violins this year, um, a little bit wider than the past year. And so we're just sort of getting everyone up to snuff in their fifth position and higher. For seating auditions, they do the um, Coda Symphony all state excerpts. So they, um, the most complicated ones. And they actually, I think, 
can't remember if we truncated at all. I, th- I think we might have just for the time of the audition, but they are actually all required to submit a recording of themselves um, playing the Allstate excerpts, like a formal recording by the end of September. That serves two purposes. One is that I really want them all to have experience playing these uh, professional level excerpts. We give them um, extensive feedback on this recording. And then also anyone who is then interested in applying for CODA or for Allstate had to make a recording already for class. And so then they can just decide if they are interested in actually applying or if they need scholarship to um, pay the audition fee, then we go from there. So that's sort of like what the early fall looks like. We are, we've got lots of really fun things that are happening this year. We are doing a December concert in partnership with the Alexander String Quartet. Um, they are in residence at the San Francisco State University, and they are a phenomenal professional string quartet. They are coming in to do a whole bunch of coaching with us, um, both for our small ensemble groups and with our orchestra. They're going to play side by side um, with us on the Janacek Suite for Strings and um Baccarini, Nightwatch, I can never remember the full title, um, but those of you who know will know what I'm talking about. Um, and they're going to be doing um, side-by-side playing with us unconducted. They're also going to be playing a Brahms sextet with two of our players side-by-side. So super cool um, opportunity for two of our seniors. In addition to that, before that December concert, we are getting ready for both our Kaleidoscope concert, where we're playing a Vitamin String Quartet arrangement of Billie Eilish's Bad Guy, which is super fun. Um, for, for those of you unfamiliar, by the way, um, in the TV show Bridgerton, Vitamin String Quartet did a whole bunch of pop covers that are like really, really fun, and they're available for purchase on the internet. And then for our fall concert, we are playing some stuff that's likely going to um, stay with us all the way through our New York trip. Um, we are playing the um, Concerto for String Orchestra by Portuguese composer Braga Santos. Super, super fun. I'm really excited that we're working on it. And we're playing a piece called Pizzicato for Strings um, by a composer named Vivian Fung. I'm excited to get to know her work better. And it's super fun. They are just a delight to work with. I, they're my first class every every um, teaching day, and they're just so lovely. I know them extremely well. Many of them, many, many of them I've known since sixth grade. So it's really just special. And this group also has family groups. And although it's there's no freshmen in the group, so the family groups look a little different. But our we have 15 seniors this year of our 28. It's a different, different environment, but it's good. A lot of aunts and, aunts and uncles. Lots of aunts and uncles. In fact, the family groups are, there are more aunts and uncles in the group than there are family members, but it's okay. (laughs) Well, very cool to hear what you're doing there. That collaboration that you're doing with the Alexander String Quartet just sounds amazing. What an enriching experience for the kids and to get to play with a group of that caliber. And then so cool that some of your students get to perform with them. That's just really, really awesome. Super cool. And all credit to my co-teacher, Sandra Lewis, who has this ongoing relationship with them. And we've gone to their festival. Yeah. And she's very familiar with the program there. It sounds like with that group, I mean, everybody's kind of, you said there's, there's some mixed level, of course, but it sounds like everybody is on the, I'm going to use in air quotes, same level in terms of like where they want to be and kind of what their drive is for the experience there. I've talked a lot today and i know you've talked about just like the fundamental development and the technique stuff do you find with that top group i mean i'm hearing what you're doing with those kids do you find that the the fundamentals and the technique take a little more of a backseat compared to the rep just because of where they're at that's a really good question i think last year especially preparing for midwest in the first semester it totally took a backseat in fact i don't even think we used a method book in the beginning of the year 
And in that case, yes, we were able to get away with it. It's, it is still mixed. There are kids in there who don't have a private teacher and there are kids who um, like maybe took lessons before, but aren't right now. There are kids Mm. who have some experience with fifth position, but aren't as experienced. So it's kind of a mixed bag in this year. It is lower in the violins than it is in the violas and cellos and basses. Our uh, cello like section could eat up any tenor clef sight reading backwards, forwards, underwater. Like it's incredible. We've had the lovely joy of having like some of the strongest and most musical viola sections I've ever, ever heard in a school group. Um, And so we're just like riding that wave. But there are there is still a pretty big gap from high to low in the violins. And it's kind of a mixed bag, like uh, the top third of the class auditions to be a music major and like or definitely is doing supplemental stuff. Um, But there's a whole group of kids who like that's not on their radar at all. So it is still mixed. Awesome. Okay, and then I'll go through symphony orchestra quickly. I know we're mostly focused on strings here. I'm excited also just about our symphony orchestra, which is an auditioned group that is mostly 10th through 12th grade. We do um, have some freshmen, I think seven or eight freshmen in our group of 70. And that is all by audition. It's an honors level course like our chamber orchestra. And it is a group where you have to be enrolled in band or orchestra during the school day in order to participate in what we call an eighth period class, which they do get course credit for this class, but it is uh, it meets once a week in the evenings for a three hour period. So Um, It is uh, just sort of a weird format, but that means that everyone who's in the group is getting regular string or band instruction during the school day. So that definitely affects how we treat technique development. And we are using a method book. We are using sound orchestra ensemble development for string or full orchestra. That book came out actually not very long ago, I think last year. And that's the the five editors, writers on it are Phillips, Boonshaft, Bernodas, Palmer, and Pope, who are all all um, huge names in our industry. Um, and they did a great job, I think, of making this book. It looks similar to the Habits book in that there are pages set by key signature. And then within the key signature, they've got scales, um, exercises, passing the tone, rhythm stuff, and then also both orchestral excerpts and some original chorales. And I think they're they're really well written. So I do, I do appreciate that. It's been really fun. But really, because we're meeting once a week and because we are um uh like we have a pretty demanding concert schedule we are doing far less technique development than the other classes it's mostly just about like ensemble tone development and making sure that we can develop a characteristic sound as a symphony orchestra and try to figure out balance between groups we are well into the year so it's been really fun we are preparing for our fall concert which is going to be some movements of beethoven's second symphony we're playing um dance infernal from firebird um the isaac arrangement of it and then we are also shortly going to be going on a field trip to the san francisco symphony's open rehearsal um, and they are playing beethoven's second symphony which is sort of why um that happened and so kids will be able to see a professional group um play the the music that they're playing and that should be super fun. We're making a day field trip of it and going to just make a San Francisco day of it. Separate from that, within our three-hour rehearsal, we're also trying to do some combination of like getting to know each other and um, uh, a little bit more um, connection between players than a typical youth orchestra experience might be. Um, And that's partially because I am who I am and partially because I have sat through a lot of rehearsals not knowing the name of the person like next to me, much less my whole section, much less the orchestra. So it's just important to me. I think they play better. And we're doing some fun stuff too. Uh, We have been playing This Is Halloween from Nightmare Before Christmas, which we are then recording and turning into a music video we did this last year with a halloween arrangement it was very fun each section then dresses up and like does a little thing and is featured in the video 
it's a ton of work on the teacher's part. It's totally worth it. In my opinion, um, we play that video at our fall concert as we do the transition. It's like also logistic. And then that video also gets shared on social media. And I think the kids who are in symphony orchestra feel like some pride about being in this like special group. So cool. It's real fun. Um, and also like, to be clear, I had no video editing skills until COVID. And so like so much of so much of our jobs and our careers is just adapting to the times. Now I get to use these skills for like other <laughs> Purposes. I was going to ask you who did the video editing and I will, uh, I am triggered by the term video editing after all of the small boxes. Yep. I know no one wants okay. to do it, but, uh, honestly though, if you can figure out how to use Canva to your advantage, like you can make everything look a lot more professional by just like editing in those clips. Um, I can share the video that I made last year, but it was made fully in iMovie and Canva. Like it's, it's not, it's, I'm not fancy. It was filmed on my iPhone, nice. like, but you can make it work. Uh, and then in December, we're going to be working on some extras from Swan Lake actually. I and mean, we're playing the suite um, and uh, we're doing a pretty true to the name Finlandia transcription by I think it's a goldsmith transcription, but should be very fun. The group is honestly, it's such a joy. It's uh, obviously it sucks to teach until nine on Thursdays. And also what a joy, you know, it's so special that we get to have a symphony orchestra class. We have a uh, very, very close to full instrumentation. We are missing an oboe, but other than that, we're good. It's been really fun. That's so cool. Amazing. Well, I love hearing about everything that you're doing with the symphony orchestra. I especially love hearing that yeah, you're trying to make that class feel so connected. I, it's funny. I, I do like in my mind, I picture it at like a youth orchestra, but it is a school ensemble and that you're trying to do all of the same connection that you try to build within the school day within that class. It's also helpful to hear you do a good job of mixing around the types of materials you're using with your kids. There's like every year, I feel like all of your classes are using even some different method books than in the past. And that's cool because I feel like people can get stuck in a rut there. Which we're so lucky to have like so many things available. Like so much of what I do is because Sandra Lewis has built 20 years of this program here. <laughs> yeah. And we'll link any of the stuff that we haven't mentioned. If you haven't listened to our method books uh, episode from our first season, check it out, but we'll link any new ones below here. Cause I want to check those out as well and what great repertoire that you're getting to play with your kids that sounds just like a blast super fun well before we started this episode i told tiffany we were going to keep it under 50 minutes and we are so far <laughs> so over 50 minutes far away. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. but it's just been it's it's been fun to check in for myself and my own classes and then to, to hear what you're doing it's very very cool to hear this kind of six through 12 where everybody's at uh, awesome well, let's go into our final segment, which we'll keep very brief, which is our episode goals. Every episode, we set a new goal for ourselves, and then we check in on our previous goal. On our very recently recorded episode, my old goal was to get all of the stuff for all of our kids. I just have been short on equipment and materials for my students. And that, even in the past week, has already gotten better. We had a, a shipment of some full-size cellos and a half-size bass that I was waiting on arrive, and all of those have gotten immediately into the kids' hands. Finally had some classes with my top group where all of the cellos could play all at the same time because we've been short instruments and tough to get the kids to have oh them gosh. in. Yeah, yeah, that's huge. <laughs> it's been not great, um, but I'm still waiting on, um, I've got two quarter size basses and a bunch of cello bows. I'm, I mentioned last season, I'm trying to outfit all of my school cellos with their own bow because I've just been having the kids bring their own from home and that has been less than ideal. So. I'm very close and hope that I think this week all that stuff's going to arrive. So almost there. 
Great. My new goal is very simple, which is uh, that in a week and a half, we have our fall concert and I want to have a really successful fall concert where the kids feel great about their own performance, but also that that event feels like it has a lot of energy and spirit to it and connection for the families that are there, because that's our first opportunity to kind of capture for them um, what this year for their kid and orchestra is like. Cool. Sounds good. I had previously mentioned that I am dealing with a bunch of health challenges and trying to keep balance with that. It's certainly an ongoing goal. Um, this week and the coming weeks, I've got all kinds of like appointments, procedures, all kinds of things. And so like trying to get all of that um, somehow stuffed into the time where I'm not in front of students is, um, you know, an ongoing goal. And I will continue working on it. It also just means that like a lot of my prep time is taken by doctor things. So just trying to figure that out. It's ongoing. And then my new goal, I just want to continue to get to know individual players. I think I have had an opportunity now to hear everyone play in some capacity. And there are, like Pat was saying, like just like so many things that you're like, oh, so you're the one who's making this sound and let's try to figure out why. <laughs> um, and sort of just like building not only my knowledge of how they are playing as musicians, but also just to, it's a chance to get to know them, right? So like I might, I just found out that this kid is on the football team, the new girls football team. And I didn't know that that, that that team existed or that she's playing on it. Just want to have more of those conversations. And so that way I can support their musicianship through a personal relationship. That's a great goal. Really great. Thank you so much for listening today. If you want to reach out to us with questions, comments, feedback, or ideas, shoot us an email at bandmeetsstrings at gmail.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at bandmeetsstrings. Please subscribe on whatever platform you use to play podcasts and consider spreading the word to anyone you think might be interested. We're hoping to spread this network of shared learning as wide as we can in the string education community. That is all for us for today. Wishing you a good rest of your month and a great fall concert, Tiffany. You too. Enjoy your fall concert. We'll see you next time. Bye. See you guys. Bye-bye. <laughs>